Hello and welcome to another episode of What the Bible Says. We are a group of people who are trying to find answers to modern day questions about how we should live our lives. And we find those answers by only using the Bible. This podcast is not supported by any congregation or denomination in any way. However, if you do enjoy the podcast, we do ask one thing from you. Please send this episode to someone you think would enjoy it. Or perhaps take a screenshot of your phone right now and post a picture of this episode to put on your social media. And lastly, please get on our website and send us a question that you have about an episode or a topic that you want us to cover. The goal of this podcast is to answer questions from listeners like you. Now let's search together what the Bible says. back to this study of is my church the one that we read about in the Bible. This is number seven in our continuing series of nine. We have talked about various questions such as is there one church? The Bible teaches there is just one church. We've been focusing on worship uh, in some of our studies such as singing, the Lord's Supper, prayers, giving, the preaching and teaching that is done. We want to continue our study of that very question of, is my church the one in the Bible? And we want to, again, emphasize, is the church where I attend, is it the one you read about in the pages of the New Testament? Let's continue to talk about worship that we've been talking about. And we want to raise the question, is attendance important? And do I have to go to worship services and do... I need to go to all of the services. Do I need to attend all of the time? A very common practice for religious people is for them not to attend the worship services. Some claim to be members of some church, but then they never attend at all. They just don't ever attend. They don't ever go anywhere. Uh, But they're good members of the church, they say. Some attend occasionally, such as maybe occasions like Easter or maybe Christmas or Mother's Day. Some just attend when they want to attend. If they want to go one Sunday, fine. If they want to miss several Sundays, that's fine. But they claim to be religious people and they claim to go to church. And yet there are others that attend every single service. Now, what does the Bible teach about this question? And so let's focus on this. Why should we attend all of the worship services? And compare this teaching with the practice of where you may go to church, the church that you are a part of. What do they encourage? What does their teaching encourage? Why should we attend all of the services? So do I have to go to worship? Yes, because it is commanded of God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 25, this is the text we want to focus upon Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 25. The New King James rendering of that verse says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The New American Standard says, Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those two renderings of that same verse tell us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
Now let's talk about the word assembling. <clears throat> what does the word assembling suggest to us? The text does not say assembly, that is as if it were referring to one assembly or the Sunday morning service. Some think the passage may be saying, do not forsake the assembly, but that's not what the text says, the assembling. It refers to the act of assembling. But let's talk about this word forsake. The text says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There are those who think this refers to some permanent abandonment and that's all that it refers to. So in their mind, the text is saying, don't abandon the church, don't abandon worship, don't just quit altogether. So their idea is that one who misses now and then or misses half or more of the services is not forsaking. The word forsake includes an occasional, even one time forsaking. Let me give you some examples of that. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now that's talking about what God the Father did one time in allowing his son to die. And the text says, Why have you forsaken me? That was not complete abandonment. Furthermore, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, Demas hath forsaken me. And that wasn't just a one-time abandonment. Um, I mean, it wasn't a, just a, a complete abandonment, but he forsook him and left him one time is the idea. All forsook me, Paul would say. Verse 16. Hebrews 13 in verse 5, God promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does that mean God won't abandon you, but he will forsake you occasionally? No, it can refer and it does refer to occasional and one-time abandonment. So now back to our text. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We are commanded not to forsake the assembling. That is, I'm not to even occasionally to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But what's really interesting about Hebrews 10.25 is the context. The textual and historical context deals with persecution. Now let's notice in the context, we're talking about Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 25. Well, if we take our Bibles and open up to chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, we'll notice in verse 4, and it's getting a sampling now. We're not going to take the time to read a lot of verses from Hebrews, but just give some references and get the highlights that these refer to persecution. Chapter 12 and verse 4 speaks of resistance. You have resisted, but not yet unto blood. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, talks about a chastening of the Lord that is a suffering for those who are the sons of God. We see that at verse 6. So here is a chastening. That's referring to persecution, some suffering peculiar to the children of God. Verse 12 talks about them being so discouraged that their hands hang down and their knees are feeble. That's a picture of their discouragement in the midst of persecution. Chapter 10 and in verse 33, they had been made spectacles of the world. And verse 34 shows they have lost possessions. And even there, has been those, there have been those who have suffered imprisonment. So here in the context, just within chapter 10 and just two verses later, are references that obviously refer to persecution. Robert Milligan 
in his commentary on Hebrews, said on page 32, the primary object, object for our author in writing this epistle was manifestly to persuade his Hebrew brethren in Christ to persevere to the end in their begun Christian course and not fall back to Judaism. The same spirit of envy and malice which moved the unbelieving Jews to put to death the Lord of life and glory still prompted and excited them to harass and annoy in every conceivable way his innocent and unoffending followers. The scribes and rulers exercised all their power of logic, rhetoric, and sophistry against the disciples of the despised Nazarene as they were wont to call our Emmanuel. And when the force of argument was unavailing, they had recourse to persecution. Some of them they killed, some they put in prison, and others they despoiled of their goods. All of this they did in view of the pudding, of putting a stop to the progress of Christianity and inducing all to follow Moses, their leader. Now later in the same work, page 283, Milligan said, the apostle refers here, talking about Hebrews 10, 25, not to apostasy from the church, as some allege, but simply to the neglect of public and social worship. The time when this letter was written was manifestly a time of persecution in Jerusalem and perhaps throughout Palestine, like chapter 12 and verse 4. Many of the Hebrew brethren were no doubt greatly discouraged and some of them had fallen into the habit of neglecting their regular meetings of the church. Now what Milligan is saying, it's not right because Milligan said it, but Milligan is giving us a historical background to Hebrews 10, saying that in Hebrews 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, is in the context of persecution being the very cause of some forsaking the assembly, and yet they were told not to do that. Author Pink said this on page 12 of his exposition of Hebrews, Following the persecution spoken of in Acts 8, the eminent scholar Adolf Sefer, himself a converted Jew, tells us there then arose another persecution of the believers, especially directed against the Apostle Paul. Festus died in the year 63, and under the high priest Ananias, who favored the Sadducees, the Christian Hebrews were persecuted as transgressors of the law. Some of them were stoned to death. And though this extreme punishment could not be frequently inflicted by the Sanhedrin, they were able to subject their brethren to suffering and reproaches which they felt keenly. It was a small thing that they should confiscate their goods, but they were banished from the holy places. Hitherto they enjoyed the privileges of devout Israelites. They could take part in the beautiful and God-appointed services of the sanctuary, but now they were treated as unclean apostates unless they gave up faith in Jesus and forsook the assembling of themselves together, they were not allowed to enter the temple and were banished from the altar, the sacrifice, the high priest in the house of Jehovah. Now, did you catch what Pink said? What Pink said was that historically persecution is in the background of the book of Hebrews and it was that severe persecution that was putting pressure on some of the Christians to forsake the assembling of the saints. Author Barnes says the same thing. In Barnes' notes, he said, Some may have been deterred by the fear of persecution 
as those who were thus assembled would be more exposed to danger than others. Now let's think about what we just learned. That historically, persecution was in the background. It's in the textual context, the historical context of Hebrews 10. And they were allowing persecution to keep them from worshiping. Now you think about the impact of that. They were told not to allow the persecution to keep them from worshiping God. Now let's talk about as the manner of some is, found in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Some had the habit or practice of forsaking. Something was causing the problem. Whatever it was, it was not a legitimate excuse. Whatever it was, they should have assembled. Either the cause is not specifically addressed or persecution is implied because of the context. Now let's think how this compares. Here were some who were forsaking because of persecution. Their lives may be threatened and yet they were told, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And yet we forsake and you fill in the blank for whatever your reason may be because I want to go fishing, because I want to stay at home and, and sit on the couch. I want to get in my recliner and watch TV. Or I want to visit with family and friends. Whatever your reason may be, how does that compare with not forsaking because of persecution? So why do I attend all of the services? And do I really have to go to worship? Well, we've noted it is a command, but let's talk about priorities. A top priority should be God in spiritual matters. Jesus would say, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Peter would say essentially the same thing in 1 Peter 3, 15, but his wording is, Sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your heart. In Matthew 10 and in verse 37, we see that our love and our adoration for God should be above the dearest of relationships, even father and mother and husband and wife. The same principle is seen in Matthew 19 and 26. Our relationship to God should be far more important than the dearest of human relationships. Now conflicts between our priorities cause us to do some reshuffling. In Luke chapter 5, or 9 rather, Luke chapter 9 beginning at verse 59, Jesus talks about some who began to make excuse. So consider with me in Luke chapter 9 beginning at verse 59, then Jesus said to another, follow me, and he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus didn't think much of that, and he said, let the dead bury the dead, come and, fo uh, come and follow me. And what I'm learning from that is, here is a reshuffling of priorities because of a conflict. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 10 with Mary and Martha, and Jesus being in their household, and Martha was troubled about many things. There was a reshuffling of her priorities. Demas loved the present world. There was a reshuffling of priorities, 2 Timothy 4 and in verse 10. Let me ask, what is your priority? With some, it's never a question of whether they'll miss services or not. 
with others missing time again, time and again is not uncommon. And so something comes up as a conflict, they will miss services tonight, they'll miss it the next Sunday night, they'll miss it on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, they may miss two or three weeks in a row. What is your priority? When a conflict arises, which of the two priorities take place? Your service to the Lord or the other priority that is inferior to that? Why do I attend all of the services and do I really have to go to worship? It is commanded. We've seen priorities, what they should be. Let's talk about our purpose in worship is to praise. You see, we assemble in order to worship. In John 4, 24, we worship God in spirit and in truth. John was told in Revelation 22, 6, worship God. Hebrews 13, 15, we offer unto God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. So when we assemble, we have come together for the purpose of praising God. Now let's talk about the God we worship. He is the creator of all things, Genesis 1 and verse 1. Revelation 4, verse 8, verse 11, He is the Almighty God. Nehemiah 1 and 5, Nehemiah 4, 14, He's a great and awesome God. That's the God we worship. Now let me ask this question, how could you overdo that? How could you ever reach the point you say, you know what, we are praising God too much. I know God needs to be praised, but we're overdoing it. And so uh, we, we, we don't need to praise Him as much as uh, people think He needs to be praised. How could you overdo that? Let us focus on the fact that it's not what we get from going to worship as much as what we put in when we focus on worship. You see, Ephesians 5.19 says we're singing to the Lord. It's not always a question, what did I get out of the singing, but what did you put into the singing as far as praising God? Hebrews 2 and verse 12, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. What are you putting into the worship? We're there for the purpose of praise. But let's talk fourthly about what we miss when we're not in the worship assembly. In John chapter 20, there was an occasion where Jesus came to the disciples, his immediate apostles. And in verse 24 and 25, Jesus met with them, but Thomas was not there, the text says. Now, what did Thomas miss? Well, verse 21 of John 20, Jesus said, Peace be unto you. So he missed the blessing of peace. Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25 indicates there was the building up of their faith because they saw the resurrected Lord. He missed out on his faith being built up. Verse 20 shows they saw the Lord. He missed seeing the Lord. When Jesus was in their midst, he gave them proof of his resurrection by showing him his body, the hands where the nails were, and his side where the... A spear had pierced his side. He missed being given the proof of the resurrection. And in verse 22, there were instructions that the Lord gave. He missed the instructions the Lord gave. Now you think about what Thomas missed. 
Had Thomas been there, he would have received every one of those things. But because Thomas was not there, Thomas missed out. You see, when you miss the worship assembly, with each service you're absent, here's what you miss, the edification. The church edifies itself in love. We are edified by the singing that takes place. We're edified by the teaching that takes place. We're edified in observing the Lord's Supper. We're edified by the prayers. We're built up spiritually. When you're not there, you miss out on edification. There's the giving of encouragement. Not only do we sing to God, but speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19 We're to provoke one another into love and to good works. Hebrews 10.24 The very next verse says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The God of heaven is praised, Acts 2, 42 and verse 47, in worship. And furthermore, we gain knowledge as the word of God is taught during our worship assemblies. So think every time that you miss, you're missing out on edification, giving encouragement to others, getting encouragement and praising God and gaining knowledge. And so when we focus on what we miss, that tells us the importance of being at every service. Now let's consider the percentages. Suppose a church has a Sunday morning Bible class, they have a Sunday morning worship, they have a Sunday evening worship, and they have Wednesday night Bible classes. And so you have four. You take a, a pie and divide it into quarters, and so each quarter of the pie represents each one of those, those services. Now, when a person just misses on Wednesday night, but they come Sunday, Bible class, Sunday morning, Sunday night, they're still missing out on 25% of the occasion to praise God and to learn and to grow and develop their faith. Suppose they miss Sunday night and Wednesday, they're missing out on 50% of the occasions and opportunities to worship God and to praise God, and to grow from the study of His Word, and to learn. And if they miss three of the services, and they come Sunday morning only, they're missing 75% of the opportunities to grow and develop their faith, and to learn and to praise God. Now what have we seen in this short study? We've seen the importance of going to worship. Do I have to go to worship? The answer is yes, because it is commanded. Yes, because of priorities. Yes, because our purpose is to praise God. And yes, because of what we miss. Take these Bible principles, compare them to the church where you are, and keep raising the question, is my church the one that was in the Bible? Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what was said in this episode or any topics you would like us to cover in the future, please visit our website at whatthebiblesays.co where you can submit your questions or suggestions. There is also a place on our website if you are interested in scheduling a more personal Bible study with one of the Christians in this group. Lord willing, see you next episode.